is the Everyone Planet Podcast, episode number 53. I'm your host, Joel Lambadon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast, we are talking about the culture code. Daniel Coyle's book, which is subtitled The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups. And I'm talking about it with a former student and current English teacher at our local school district, Earl Bell. And he had this book um, that he was reading for a class. He'd read it before in his uh, former life as in, at a, working at a bank, which we'll get into in the episode. And I was interested in it, and I heard about it, and I knew uh, some other folks that had talked about this uh, this book. And so, hey, I wanted to do a podcast. Now, that was, <laughs> that might have been right on the beginning of the pandemic, and so it, it's been a while. So, finally had a chance to get with Earl and record this episode, because The Culture Code is a pretty amazing book, and I was reminded by that by a uh, another student of mine, uh, Kayla Luke, who's, who was reading it, she's like, oh my gosh, this book is so amazing. I'm like, yes, it is, and I need to do it on the podcast. So, we're going to talk about it, and that's coming up in a bit, but before I jump into the conversation with Earl, just a quick disclaimer, in no way will we be able to communicate the whole value of the book, and even if we did, it would be from our perspective, and by the way, there's no, there's too much in this book to communicate it in just a 45 minute podcast episode trust me in other words if you like what you hear go get the book for yourself links to purchase the book can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 53 or seek it out wherever you buy high quality books like this one if possible try to support your local bookseller like square books here in oxford mississippi i'm pretty sure i got this at square books so without further delay here's my conversation with earl bell on daniel coyle's book the culture code the secrets of highly successful groups Earl Bell, thank you so much for joining me on a, a, actually the premiere episode, I would say, of the fall semester of the Amazon Planet podcast. We kind of, self-care summer kind of drifted into the self-care September. So this, <laughs> this is it. This is the premiere episode uh, this fall. So thank you. How are you doing? I'm awesome. Thank you for having me. Oh, that's great. And this is, this episode has been a long time coming. We, uh, man, it was it in the midst of what, the pandemic when we... It- picked this book up it, it sure was right right in the midst of it yeah so uh i think you were re- were you re- let me uh, go back let's see were you reading it first and then you said you really love this book and then so i picked it up i think that's how it went yeah i had i read this book first when i had taken my very first corporate management position and um you know of course who doesn't want to be a strong leader so I, I read it there and then in grad school i was assigned the book again in a teachers of leaders class and uh that was how the conversation started one day you came to observe my class the book was there and the rest is history that's right i'm always looking for good books and so and this was this is a good book and so you kind of touched on a little bit but let's let's back up a little bit so let's give a little intro like Tell us who Earl Bell is. All right. Well, I'm currently an eighth grade English teacher, but I have not always been a teacher. I was a vice president at a bank and uh, decided that the only part of my job that I liked was the teaching aspect of it. So one day I decided I'm going to follow that dream and be a teacher. So quit my job and here we are. And so like, so, you know, just for those that maybe out there too, that are listening and they think like, what aspects of your job led to you like, like assuming the role of teacher? Cause I think, I mean, we're, we're doing it all the time, but just people don't think, well, I'm not a teacher, but they're actually doing these actions. So like, what were the actions that you're doing as the vice president of a bank? Uh, yeah, the- I, was in, I was in charge of all of the training. 
Um, so every new employee that we had that came into the call center um, was trained by me. And um, the more and more responsibility I got, the less I was able to participate in that or the, the less coaching I was able to give. And uh, it became more paperwork and, uh, you know, more trying to clean up someone else's mess and less of doing what I actually loved. So that, that, that was the aspect of teaching. And then you just took the leap, right? And I just did it. Yeah. Best that's leap great. I've ever taken. <laughs> that's fantastic. And, and what's exciting too, is I, we've had a chance to, I had, uh, had you in class a, a couple of times and being able to see the, the work you're doing in the schools and seeing how you're trying to, um, you know, <laughs> well, manage, uh, an English classroom during a global pandemic and thinking right. about how are you doing and just kind of amazing. Uh, well, it was amazing and seeing, and also got, got to see the transition too. Cause we had, I think one observation pre and then all right, so how do we take this cult? I mean, we're going to be talking about culture in, in just right. a second. How do you take this culture that I've developed in a classroom and convert it to an online environment? For sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from it. Of course, it, when I first read it, I was not looking at it through the lens of, oh, how am I going to take this from the boardroom to the classroom? But mm-hmm. it happens. I mean, the, the boardroom and the classroom are so much more alike than we think they are. Oh. Um, they're they're both team environments and you can't mm-hmm. be successful without that well and that's i mean i mean i guess right there is might be a shift for some people because they they might have experienced school as a very isolated experience right rows and columns and all i'm doing is i'm being you know given knowledge from from on high from the teacher up front but like we we know that that that's not the best way to do it. Like we got to have these interactions. Definitely. I mean, um, in education, there is a bit of a relationship bias. I mean, there's a leader and then there's followers, but I mean, that doesn't necessarily create the best classroom culture. Um, Mm -hmm. I think people by nature don't necessarily want to do something just because you told them to do it. They, They want to know that there's a reason behind it and that they have an investment in that action as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So like what, you know, when you were um, first exposed to this in your role at, at the bank, like what were some things that, that just, do you remember that what, there were some things that popped out to you that you think, oh, this will help in this, this role here at the bank? Oh, absolutely. And, and these are the things that carried over into the classroom as well, but over uh, communicating expectations is something I did frequently as a corporate manager, but I do it frequently as a classroom management uh, manager as well, um, the students know what my expectations of them are, what my expectations of myself are. Um, in varying situations, they know how I expect them to do things, like even create uh, complete daily tasks. Like I have the expectations on the TV. I have it on the whiteboard. I have it on the actual assignment. I, it comes out of my mouth verbally multiple <laughs> times. Yes, yes. So there's never any uh, miscommunication about what is expected. And uh I mean, it, it helps a lot. Right. Well, and the thing is, you know, in the bank, you're, you're talking to, you said at a call center, so they have to be able to communicate. And then Absolutely. even the students, they need to be able to communicate what they're learning, right. In some way, some form or fashion as well. And so thinking about like that role and what, what needs to be done. Cause you know, and too often we see as teachers, sometimes it's not that the student doesn't know it. It's just, they might not know how to show it. Right. And right. so, so that's, half the game right there right absolutely um you know and another another way to get that from a student and this was something that came from the book is being able to give 
honest feedback and to receive honest feedback back from the mm-hmm. student. Um, it was a lot easier in a corporate environment where you are signing the paycheck of, you know, the person they have to be successful or else, but the students, right. not so much. So that feedback is a lot more uncomfortable because you're telling them something they don't want to hear and something that could possibly hurt their feelings or come across as judgmental. So you have to be really careful to try to, you know, uh, lean towards candor and not necessarily be brutally honest. That's not really what we're looking for in the classroom. No. (laughs) Um, So I I actually have that talk with students before I have one-on-one feedback with them. And I tell them this is going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you some stuff that maybe aren't your strengths. We're going to talk about that, but it's a team and we have the same goal, your success. Right. And this feedback is going to get us one step closer to achieving that goal. Yeah. Well, and so let's just, let me back up for a little bit. So we're reading Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code, The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups. And just for those that have not been exposed to it, it's, um, he, Daniel Coyle spent years visiting, researching the world's most successful groups and came up with, hey, here are some skills that, um, kind of some core skills that he found that is was a part of each of these successful groups. And so, and even some of those groups are Navy SEALs. We got, uh, what, Zappos is one of them. Uh, uh, what are some other ones? Um, I'm blanking now. But anyway, there's, I mean, there's lots of different examples. I mean, the, there's, there's a lot of good stories in here. Too. There's one about an airline um, uh, incident where they lost all their, uh, their pressure of their uh, hydraulic pressure and how that happened. I mean, anyway, lots of great stories in here. It kind of like, you know, in the spirit of a lot of these books, they have a lot of good illustrative stories that help out. But anyway, one of the skills is build safety, uh, explore how signals of connection generate bonds of belonging and identity. Share vul- skill number two is share vulnerability. Explain how habits of mutual risk drive trusting cooperation. Skill three, establish purpose. Tells how narratives create shared goals and values. And those three skills work together from the bottom up, first building group connection, uh, and then channeling into action. So, right. so yeah, so that's so that's the book. And so really, it's really divided up into really going deep into each of those. And so it, it's not as simple as, oh, just build safety, boom. Got it done. Right. Check. Right. There's, there's a lot that goes into that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's, and, and we know that too. And like, just that's, you know, the beginning of those hierarchy of needs and things like that. And so that's a big, big deal. But, um, but thinking about the, the overall book and thinking about the kind of the structure we use with the podcast, and I know you might've touched on them a little bit here already, but what would be some of your learnings, your key learnings? What are two to three learnings from the book that you've applied uh, to your teaching? Well, you know, definitely, definitely giving the feedback with candor, as I mentioned, um, building purpose was another, it's, it's easy to say, it's one of those, you know, buzzwords, we have to have purpose. Um, and there's a lot of those in education, but it does have to be meaningful and you do have to establish purpose with an intention. So one of the things I do is like when we have a formal assessment or when something doesn't go as planned uh, or when something goes better than I planned, um, I have I set up actual formal meetings with my entire class where we have an agenda, we have a structure and what we talk about. And there's questions that come straight from the book. Like what were our intended results? Mm. What were our results? What caused them? What are we going to do the same? And what are we going to do differently? And having that purpose and answering these questions as a group, instead of me analyzing the data, it has a pretty special impact on the way the students react. 
Um, their objectives going forward are more clear. They're more meaningful because they created them. They take responsibility for the own, you know, for the goals of the whole classroom. They try mm-hmm. to help each other. It's, it's pretty special to watch. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, again, inviting them in, that's part of that. I mean, vulnerability, right? And so thinking about like, you're saying like, I'm not just going to dictate this to you. I, I am, you know, you might suggest some things that I would not have thought of that I might, you know, might even be like, I don't know about that, but like, Hey, this is going to get you ownership. This is going to be a part of who we are as a classroom. That's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. And and it goes, it goes back to that relationship bias. I mean, I am the leader of the classroom, but I'm also part of the the team, the group. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just as much their responsibility as it's mine to make sure that our group is successful. So um, the fact that I put that on them and let them come up with that on their own, um, I mean, it does establish purpose. They, they know that their purpose is to, to grow and to learn. And that is our shared goal. I'm just going to, I'm going to throw a question. This one wasn't on the list, but do you have like a purpose statement that you kind of use to guide what you do in the classroom, Earl? I mean, I'm sure I do. Uh, I don't know it. Totally put him on the spot. <laughs> yeah, totally put me on the spot. Um, well, I mean, here's yeah, what I, mean, I see. I mean, you, we talk about the actions, right? And so I'm seeing like how your actions come about and seeing like the things that you do to make sure that your students know what they're supposed to be. Like we talk about over communication, making sure their expectation, being part of the group together. I mean, it seems like, you know, you're a, we're on this educational journey together and I'm going to provide as much support and, and, but also expectation for you as necessary to help you achieve what you can. Yeah. And you know, a lot, a lot in education centers around state testing, standardized testing, but my goal and I guess my purpose would be that every child in that classroom knows that they matter and that they're expected to grow. And mm-hmm. that, that they really want nothing more than to meet our expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you talked about that candor, um, you know, having the, the conversations with them. And I really thought that was for me, the learning from that is that the study that, that they had where they used that I don't know, one sentence statement and they right. added it onto the comments where it was, I'm giving you these comments because I have very high expectations and I know you can reach them. Yep. And, and to think like, you know, and they said about the statements or that are part of that, right? You're a part of this group. This group is special. We have high standards here and I believe you can reach those standards. And so that for me, like as a math, I know you're an English guy, I'm a math guy. That goes back to the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics have had these equity uh, or these principles and standards for school mathematics. And the number one principle was the equity principle, which is about high expectations and strong support. You know, right. I'm thinking about, and, and it made sense, you know, eventually it made sense. It took me a while to unpack it, but, you know, thinking about the, I, ex, I have high expectations for you, but I also am here to support you. I know you might, you might have needs and well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm here for is to help you help figure it out and help us uh, like supply it so that you can meet those expectations. And so when you tell them that you have high expectations and they meet them, God, they're so proud. mm. It's it's the best feeling in the world to see that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, 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 and think like, you know, the, the, the range of support, like even some of the things I've seen you do in your classroom where, you know, the, what is due, what are, what are the things I need to do? What are the, what should you be practicing on? And like, you know, some of those things where we're not as an early teacher, I wasn't maybe like 
teaching them how I wanted them to participate or at least like, what does it mean to, to participate in the class where like, I just assume, cause you like, I assume you have my same brain or something like that. Right. And like, and that's, that's something here when you're talking about culture, like people just enter the room, they're not going to know exactly what to do. And you need to like, what are the practices of this room? What are the valued things that we're going to be doing? Like even the participation in, in, uh, in the conversations with you about their performance, you could even say like, this is, you probably teach it. Like they probably yeah. have never participated in something like that before. That's, that's different. Right. And talk about vulnerability. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, that's, you know, there, there are times when you're having those discussions, like what were the results when it's my fault? Mm. It was my fault. We had those results. I didn't teach two of those questions that were going to be on that assessment. And it's not fair that I assessed you on something you haven't learned. Um, that's hard to say if you're, if you're not prepared to say it, you mm. know, yeah. Um, it's it's hard to do that, but but I, I learned very early um, that that's incredibly important. Well, and that's I mean, that's a great example there too. Like just saying like, you know, oh guess what this 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 assessment wasn't perfect. <laughs> like, and I'm going to take some some onus on that, and you know maybe we don't we're going to have to do redo something here for these two last questions or something like that, or um, I'll have to revamp that for next time. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I mean, Coyle does say in the book um, that the four most important words that a, a, a leader needs to learn is, I screwed that up. <laughs> yeah. Because so, it happens a lot. So, yes. Um, it's, it's important to admit that. And uh, it's a good a good lesson I learned first year teaching. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was thinking about some of the, uh, sorry, I wrote, my, uh, <laughs> wrote some of my stuff on my whiteboard here and it's behind me. Um, some of the things that I was that another thing that I learned um, from it was, and I wonder what you think about this, given our current situation, the, the idea about collisions. Like, do you remember that about the collisions? Like I want to create a, a, where there's lots of, I think it's in the first part about building safety um, where people feel like they belong is like having interactions with people and facilitating interactions. And like we kind of talked about before is having those, um, you know, having those interactions or having a, maybe a traditional type classroom where there's rows and columns and, and, and maybe not a lot of interaction where, you know, kids might not be talking and right. And, or kids might not be communicating and like lately kids might not be communicating because they have a mask on or something like that, like, or be sure. socially distanced and stuff like that. But to have these and what he says is safe collision, rich environment, uh, collision, rich spaces. So those interactions can happen. And I, and and we were just talking right before we hit record about, you know, there is something, even though we're, at least for the university, we were all online last year. Now we're having interaction. It's just, there's something different about the teaching. It's just a little bit better. Just, you know, it might be, we're still socially distant. We're still keeping like, um, you know, uh, groups together. So in case there's a quarantine situation or whatever, like we're trying to figure those things out, but we're still having collisions, right? Um, yeah, it, it's more important than ever. Uh, they, a lot of my students missed an entire year of being able to interact with their peers. And, and that's another thing it says in the book is that the, the communication or the collisions don't need to be just between student teacher, student teacher, student teacher. Um, I make sure that the students communicate with each other as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they've missed that. And gosh, they're, they're yearning for it. And it, it makes class so much more interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, and the thing too is like, I was trying to explain or trying to figure out why, because I went to a conference that was all virtual. And I was trying to exp- 
figure out why I was so much more engaged in a virtual conference where I'm sitting in this tiny closet in the back of my garage for hours on end. And it was like a three-day conference and I was here for most of the time. And why I was more engaged and, and I realized, and, and it was one of the things from the book, it was um, about the, the uh, collisions were happening, not when the, so the presentation's happening, but then I see who's in the presentation where it was all over Zoom. So you can see who, um, you know, there's a presenter and they're giving their things, but then on the side is the chat that everyone is engaged in like, Oh, here's a resource that's connected to that. Oh, they just cited this. Here's and like, Sam, I know where that book is. And like, and it's just all these things. And it's like, and a lot of them were my acquaintances or colleagues or friends that you're like, Oh, I want to talk. Hey, good to see you, Matt. And like, that wouldn't happen in a face-to-face environment. Cause you're not <laughs> colliding with right. people and it'd be, it'd be rude to like turn around. like, Hey Matt, how you doing? Or to even be texting him. But in a zoom, you know, conference that that was like an accepted practice and it was like i like that i like having that back channel because then like all these questions are being answered and it wasn't taking away engagement with the presentation it was enhancing engagement and it it was even in here as one of those uh one of the studies that they had about um team performance is driven by five measurable factors i think it was a married members carry on back channel or side conversations within the team and it was like but it was all for a specific purpose, not just like, Hey, where are we going for lunch? Which is a good thing too. (laughs) I think I figured that out, but it was, it was cool to like, Oh, that now I get, I I get a little bit of, of insight into why that was such a, a pretty good experience for me. It's interesting with uh, teenagers as well, because if we do have somebody that's out of quarantine, I'll run a zoom so they can still join the class, but there, there are children that I've never heard speak to me because they don't speak and they're soft-spoken, but you open that chat window and yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, you get to know so much more than you would have ever known. Right. And, 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 you know, you know, so like, also like, what does that mean for our teaching? Like, you know, I'll do a lot of things with putting a Google doc up as like my agenda, but there's the chat function. If like, Hey, where, what is Amazon talking about? He's talking, he's talking about this or what's assignments are do or like, you know, even having just those like to encourage that. And I've tried to get that going, but you know, I also know too, that they're, they are talking to each other um, outside of classes too that are having exactly. these side conversations because all my seniors are in a, basically a, all their classes together. So they're constantly talking about uh, assignments and whatnot. But like encouraging that, those sort of interactions, again, those safe collisions, uh, a collision-rich space, safe collision-rich space. Is, I, I really like that as, a, as an idea. Yeah, for sure. And then if you end up in a situation where one of those missed something or isn't understanding something or is worried about something, after having that interaction or that collision, they're a lot more likely to want to talk to their classmates or to open up to their classmates to say, hey, I need some, I need some help with this. Mm-hmm. What about um, any, what other learnings popped out to you, Earl? Well, the most, the most important thing that I learned from this was you know, to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, people in general are afraid of looking foolish. And I'm, I'm certainly guilty of that. And a lot of times don't do things to their full potential because I don't want to look silly. And like I said before, the, you know, the four most important words were, uh, I screwed that up. Mm-hmm. And my very first year, that was a concept that I completely forgot about. Um, I was trying to develop my teacher persona and I don't know why I felt like I needed to be something different, but I, I decided at one point I was going to go in that classroom and I was going to be the authoritarian. It's not <laughs> who I am. Um, 
all of the classes knew that and kind of pegged me as a fraud and treated me in kind for the entire semester. And then Christmas break, I reflected on it. Things were going poorly. This is not a great first year. Maybe I shouldn't have made this switch to education. Um, so I was like, I'm going to be their best friend when I go back. That's also not who I am. <laughs> yeah. And that also did not go well. I mean, it backfired and they knew that I wasn't being genuine. And so they really didn't care about anything I had to say. So we make it all the way to spring break. And by this time, the year's almost over. I have a lot of time to reflect over that week. And I'm like, why don't I just try being myself and being the teacher that I said I was going to be when I set out to do all this? So when I got back to school the first day after break, I sat down with the class and I told them the truth. I told them it's my first year. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. I told them I was trying to be somebody else because I was afraid they were going to walk all over me. And then I told them how I really had wished that this class could have been. And it was so shocking that they all 100% agreed that that's how they wanted the class to be as well. So we regrouped and the next day we, we set new classroom rules together. We came up with new norms. Sharing that vulnerability in that moment, it turned my relationship with those kids completely around. And that, when I tell you it was a nightmare, terrible first year, I'm not exaggerating. It ended up being one of the best years of my career because of that. And then when I entered grad school and started to reread the culture code and I reflected on that terrible first part of the year, I made a promise to myself that I would admit when I was wrong and I would be vulnerable. Uh, vulnerable, And it, it's interesting because there's a concept in there about the vulnerability loop. And it's when members of the group share their vulnerability, other members begin to open up and feel more comfortable doing that. And it creates a stronger bond. And uh, that's the biggest takeaway I've had from the book. And it, it's been life changing to see what that does in classrooms. Yeah. Well, and the thing too, you're dealing with middle school students who, man, they're trying to figure out who they are and to have somebody that's, that's, you know, like you said in the first part, like not being who you were and like, well, that's, I already know that. But then all of a sudden, like being, being authentic and representing yourself and showing some vulnerability. I'm like, right. Like that's really attractive. It's like, I, I want to be who I am, but I'm trying, still kind of trying to figure it out. But it's like, Absolutely. it's cool that Mr. Bell is, is who he is. Like we know who he is. It's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, this year I've got something unique. I'm teaching an extended ELA class. So my my most struggling readers through the beginning parts of the day come back in a small group at the end for an extra period of um, English, basically, where we, we practice reading. But, I mean, we all know, and the very first day I, I told them, let's, let's discuss the elephant in the room. We're, we're in an extended reading class because we're struggling readers. So let's just talk about that. And... They felt free at that point to share their weaknesses or what they perceive as their weaknesses, because some of them are very good at the things they think they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, they shared their insecurities. Uh, it, it, that in itself created a culture in that classroom where everybody is supportive of everyone else. Um, a kid that's normally afraid they're going to mispronounce a word isn't afraid to try it. The other kids will try to support them. Uh, they really all want to see each other succeed. And it's incredible to watch. Well, that, that is exactly what I was going to say. Like the, where they had the, the balloon identification story. It was about, they're going to release 10 balloons all over the country. And they're trying to figure out who's going to find, who could find the balloons the fastest. And it was the one that incentivized working together. Then also it was like, 
revealing that, Hey, we don't know all the answers. We're going to need help in order to do it. And so like that vulnerability and, and revealing that and like what incentives, what incentives are we providing in our, you know, teaching scenarios where it's make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to, you know, like mispronounce a word. Like you, that's, that's a hard word. Maybe the first time you're going to do it, that you're probably not going to do it right the first time, but it's those sort of, are we creating incentives to compete and be better than, and, and want to be better than the other person or to work together, to collaborate, to make mistakes. This book back here, Rough Draft Math by Mandy Jansen, we had her on the, the podcast, but that's all about that. It's like, hey, we're going to, we're purposely going to show you a, well, and it's coming from your world of having like rough draft manuscripts, but like rough draft problem solving, like this isn't done, but I'm still going to show it to you. I'm, I'm going to, it's like, it's perfect for this chapter, this vulnerability about, we're going to put something out there that, you know, we haven't thought it all the way out yet, but still that we're, we're doing that. So we together as a class can show our thinking and, and try to get better at whatever this thing is that we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I always talk to my kids about, uh, I'm a huge fan of cooking and eating, obviously, but <laughs> I tell them not everything that you, you know, you cook is going to come out perfectly. You yeah. follow the recipe, you think you're doing everything right. It tastes terrible. Uh, what do you do? Just not eat anymore? <laughs> I mean, you figure out a way to make it taste good. And it's the same thing with, you know, English or math. If it doesn't work, you figure out a way to make it work so you can move on. Yeah, I became one of those uh, sourdough people. I've got my little starter in the, uh, <laughs> the refrigerator. Made some uh, some sourdough muffins and like maybe need a little bit more sugar. But that's okay. <laughs> there's some extra ones instead. I'm like, kids, muffin? Huh? Muffin? Yeah. Like, nah. We're not having those muffins. Like I try to get that's right. <laughs> yeah, even yeah, Maisie didn't want them either. That's okay, girl. <laughs> so um, what would you have done? I mean, it, you and you gave him probably a number of examples here, but anything that you want to highlight about what have you done or or even like in revisiting, what do you want to do differently based off of what you've read in the book or what you have read in the book? You know, definitely I want to continue being vulnerable and one of the things that I want to do differently and I try really hard is to be a better active listener with middle mm-hmm. school students. It's not so hard to do with adults. It is a little harder to do with eighth graders. Um, but I want to listen more than I talk when they're in moments where they have a problem that mm-hmm. needs to be solved or they have a question that needs to be answered. It's real easy to, you know, to jump in and interject and say things like, well, what I would have done uh, so what I really want to do is not give advice when it's not needed. Um, really just hear what they're saying, guide them towards creating their own re- resolution. And, you know, I, I've learned to use phrases like, tell me more, or that's interesting, or go on. And you would be shocked at the things you can glean from a conversation with an eighth grader if you just let them keep talking. So that that is one of the things from the book that – I could do as, as a business manager, but it's a lot harder to practice with kids. I mean, I almost want to like put a post-it with those three, like what, tell me more, go on, <laughs> like, and like, or keep going, like, and hand it to some of my elementary school students or elementary math teachers, uh, their perspective. Cause I want them to learn about their kids thinking. And it's like, sometimes you just open a window, prompt them again, you know, and, who knows what can be revealed. But then I was also saying like, it's also putting some trust in them too, that like 
they keep going, you know, like the question that they have, they might answer it themselves or um, had a great conversation with my daughter. Maybe she'll be in your room next year, uh, seventh grader, but she, um, she was, you know, came up with some insights on studying that she was sharing with her friends. And it was just like, I didn't teach her that. And like, she, you know, just kept going with it and kept going like, and I could have stopped her and gave her, you know, lecture on study skills or something like that, but she had it. She had, and the, the mindset and everything, it was like, one of those proud dad, like I'm going to just stand, sit back and like, and be like, yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, I always, I always try to look at it. Like their first response is not necessarily what they really wanted to say. It's mm. just the first thing that came out of their right. mouth. So it's sort of like peeling back the, the layers of an onion, right? I mean, you got to get to the core and you'll get there eventually. So that is the thing I've had to work on most. And I, uh, you know, I found that, um, quite helpful when I went back and revisited this book. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, was thinking about the, um, there's a, the idea of the after action reports, uh, from the seal teams. And, and, you know, a lot of people do that, whatever, there was something that happened and now we were going to review it and like, think about how does it fall in line with our intentions and what we have defined as like what we stand for and for this, whatever the objective is for the Navy seals or for us, uh, when we, I would, I'm gathering my, my grad assistants and those I teach with and thinking like, how did we do in what a lot of times is lead people to love others through teaching or lead people to love others through math, the teaching of mathematics and think about how did we do that? Like, and how did we fall short? How, where do we need to do? And like being more, um, developing the process for it more than I think before I would almost, I would always be looking forward. Like just, I'm going to the next semester, the next thing, I wrap that up. I'm done. I'm not going to, I don't want to think about it right now. I'll think about it later. And that never would happen, but to actually be specific, like as fresh as possible, let's talk about what happened, how we make it better. And like, I've seen some major improvements in what we're doing. It's because of absolutely. Absolutely. At the bank, if I needed to give an employee feedback, um, I had a rule that I was going to do it within 24, 48 hours of whatever that, that acts. Uh, you know, the action was, and then one day it, it just dawned on me at school. Like, why would I treat the kids any differently? They're not going to mm-hmm. remember if they did terribly on a test six weeks from right. now, because, you know, let's talk about it tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I would actually would do that too with my, um, when I was teaching high school mathematics, the last one, last time I would do that, I would have like these, the kind of like talking about what you did, the one-on-one sitting down, going over objectives works really well with standards-based grading. Cause you can say, here's the evidence you've shown. I mean, that's, that's good stuff. What would, um, what would be the major critique of this book? Well, it's that's, not all sunshine and rainbows, right? I know that's really hard to be critical of this particular book because it's aimed at helping people become better leaders and building yeah, yeah. stronger teams. It's hard to say there's anything wrong with that because it's a great concept um in fact i really the only critique i could give is i wish it were more geared towards education Mm. and i was even thinking like wouldn't it be cool if coil would team with an educator and write something called the culture code for classrooms Mm. like that would be a book i would read immediately yeah 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 i guess the only thing i was saying you know i kind of joked about it before is you know, some might say, well, we're going to build safety this year. We're going to share vulnerability and we're going to establish purpose. And like, as well, what like, does that mean? Right, exactly. And thinking about exactly what, what does it mean to have those spaces? And again, he goes really deep into it in the book, but you know, for those that might only read the first chapter, 
can miss some of yeah, that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I do remember if when you now that you say that, when reading the first chapter, being like, "Oh boy, this is going to be preachy," and <laughs> yeah. it, it wasn't. Right. You know, no, once no, I no. got through that first chapter, uh, I was like, "Okay, he's not just using buzzwords; he's telling us how to create safety. He's giving us techniques to, um, you know, create purpose." He's showing us what happens when leaders are vulnerable. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree with you about that first part. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, I have a challenge uh, that I offer, I guess, like the sum in seven. So trying to think of what is seven words that you would use to sum up this book. And that's from uh, Michael Pollan's Defense of Food. There's that eat food, not too much, mostly plants um, on, his, on the front of his book. How would you sum this book up in seven words or less? We're safe. We're vulnerable. We have purpose. I think that's seven exactly. There you go. <laughs> that's pretty good. I counted I, all my fingers. <laughs> yeah. And there's a phrase that um, we'll use a lot in our uh, my classrooms and just because we do a lot of, of group work and saying we are smarter together. And I think this book helps you figure that, helps you, helps you figure out like how do we do that well? Because sometimes you know, you just, just putting people together or putting people in proximity, though there's some research to saying that's a good thing. Um, but there's more to it than that. And so how do we develop that, that culture and everything? So yeah, we are smarter together. So maybe it's, we are smarter together with a plan. How about that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a thing I like to do at the beginning of the school year, speaking of planning and I tell the kids we're going to draw a house, but then I tell them to put the paper on the top of their head and, <laughs> So then I give them instructions, you know, draw a door, draw a window, draw the frame. And of course, when they look at it, it doesn't look like a house. And that's when we learn not to do things off the top of our head. So, oh, <laughs> so it's, it's always very, yeah, it's very punny, but the kids are, they, they remember that. And they're like, I never thought I was going to be drawing on my forehead in eighth grade English. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I got well, another one like, like that. My, uh, my cooperating teacher, when I was a student teacher 20 years ago now, uh, Joe Dye, he would say, draw a car and would, and in drawing a car, like, you know, people usually draw for the, and he drew his from the front and he showed it like this. And so just saying that we come in with different perspectives, we come in. Like, so it was kind of another way to do the drawing thing with a, with a nice little punch <laughs> towards some sort of point. <laughs> I love that. You love drawing cars. Um, so earlier you've been thinking pretty deeply about teaching. You took the leap into teaching and you've had your experience teaching at the bank. What is the best thing you do to help your teaching? In my classroom, I make certain, and this goes back to that communication that everybody has a voice. Um, Even the kids that don't like to read out loud. um, I have those one-on-one meetings with them so they can tell me, you tell me what you want. So I can, I can give that to you. Um, it again, it creates those collisions that you were talking about. It creates those trust cues. Those those you're you're safe to say whatever you want cues, um, and it creates collaboration. Like you said, we're smarter together. At, at the middle school, we have signs everywhere that says "Better Together," and mm, it's true. Nice. Yeah, you know, none of us are an island. Yeah. What and I just want to emphasize that. I mean, so you spend these one-on-one meetings together and like i'm such a big fan of that and you and there there might be people out there being like well if he's got this many people in class that that takes a lot of time and blah blah blah. 
but I would assume, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, I would, I'm going to think I'm right. Is that, that, that investment of time that it takes to do all those one-on-one meetings you're getting back in, in just it compound hundredfold. interest hundredfold. Wow. And like, just, I mean, just the fact that you've had a kind of like, you maybe know some about them, like they're struggling a little bit, like, it's okay. Like and doing today. again, at the beginning of the conversation, it's, it's over communicating the expectations. And if I spend two days at the beginning of the school year, communicating those expectations and how things are going to operate in this room, they, there's no, no miscommunication about what they're supposed to be doing. So I have that opportunity to be like group A, you do this, group B, you do this, group C, I'm going to talk to you one at a time, but do this in the meantime. And we rotate through the room until everybody's had their chance to, to talk. And um, it, it works. You know, wow. I very rarely see anybody doing something that's not one of the expectations because they helped create them. Right. Well, and like the, you know, the one thing that you're over communicating more and, you know, it's kind of in this book too, is like, I care about you as like, I care. You're a part of this. You're a part of this. You're yeah. invested in this. I, I'm listening to you and we're going to do this together. And like, what, rather that's than why the rules an, are there. Yeah. The anonymous person that's sitting in a room and they've never talked or anything because they've just been in that row or column and they versus like, you've had these conversations, like. Yeah, I just I just want to put the exclamation point on that. I think that is uh, such an amazing practice. So, well, in those little those little one on one conversations, you know, we may need to be talking about how to pick out a central idea, but that kid will bring their sketchbook to the desk and be like, mm. "Look what I drew today!" Like that, you you can't buy that kind of bond, right? Um, and then they're willing to listen once they know that hey, he actually thinks my drawings are good. Um, right? They're, they'll listen to any feedback you have for them. So it, it's it's a very valuable tool. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, so what's, I wanted to ask you, what's another book that you're reading? Just curious. Um, right now I'm reading the writing revolution. Um, that is not something that is taught, um, a lot in Mississippi schools because it doesn't count for very much on the state test. Mm. Uh, it's 12 points out of however many, but it's not many. Um, but I think what we're finding is that to be a communicator in any way, you need to be able to to write mm-hmm. um, and you need to be able to understand what you're writing and put your thoughts down on paper. Uh, it, it helps your comprehension and reading if you can do it yourself. Um, it, it's really interesting. I'm finding out a lot of stuff I didn't know, like start with teaching them how to write a sentence instead of assuming that every kid you get in the eighth grade knows how to do that. Nice. Nice. I, I love that. I mean, and, and two is thinking like, if I'm a better writer, I'm probably gonna be a better reader, better communicator, better, like all, I mean, and and like thinking about them beyond just beyond the classroom too. Right. I'm I'm investing in you as a, an entire person, not studying the, the test. That's right. Excellent. Well, thank you, Earl. I appreciate everything uh, that you shared and I appreciate that we finally got a chance to uh, talk about this book. Do you have anything, any final words that you wanted to to share? I don't. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for, thanks for having me. That is all I have for this episode of the Amadon Planet podcast. Show notes for the podcast can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 53. Now, if you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts so that the latest episode is always available wherever you are ready to listen. Rate or review the podcast or your podcast provider. That just lets it be seen by those that might like something like this. You can also subscribe to the Amazon Planet Download, which contains teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet. 
Um, and then you can also follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. You can also check out the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet Bookshop. Links are in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com, where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Thank you to Earl Bell for sharing his time and expertise. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.